Hey, this is Darren Tyler. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Conduit Church. For more information, go to conduitchurch.com. Galatians 4, verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James Version, if you're, uh, if you're wondering. And now I say Paul is writing this to this church at Galatia. Do you remember when we started Galatians, like back in January? We're on chapter 4. Now, that I, uh, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is the master of all. And if you're a child, you're like, that's totally true. I'm totally a slave at my house. Man, I, parents make me do... But we, it's not the exact idea he's saying here, but he's juxtaposing it against saying, as a child, you, you could be the richest kid in the world. You could be one of the little Trumps, like when Donald Trump's kids were little, the little trumpets, trumpets. You know, they had the keys to the kingdom, but they still had a guardian somewhere that was telling them what to do and where to go, and their freedom didn't happen at that point. But as, uh, you're under guardians and stewards until the appointed time by the Father. And even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. And that word, elements of the world, is a really interesting word because he's really talking about like the ABCs of how the world works. The ABCs, if you do this, you get rewarded by that. If you don't do this, you get punished by that. He's saying that's just the way of the universe. And God, as he often is, is counterintuitive. He's paradox. He's saying this is opposite of that. The elements of the world, verse 4, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, Important because God, Jesus had the power to redeem us because he was God. He had the right to redeem us because he was a man. Let me say that again. He had the power to redeem us because he was God, but he had the right to redeem us because he was a man. Born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Wow. We almost could just stop right there and let that sink in, right? Dean and Kim LaRocca are about to adopt a little boy from China. He's there right now living in an orphanage. He is their son, but he's under a different guardian, under rules where they're getting food and clothing, and, but he doesn't have a father. He doesn't have a mother, not yet, but he's been given an adoption. We, similarly, living under a guardian, living in an orphanage, so to speak, under the law, where we got food, we got clothing, we got taken care of, but what we didn't have was, was a relationship. And verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And if you've been around the Bible at all, you know that that is a term that just basically means Daddy. Therefore, you are no longer a slave. Because of that, you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you serve those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather, you're known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and the beggarly elements? That same thing, the elements of this world, the weak and the... Not just, by the way, the weak and the poor. It's like... That word is destitute, like a street child. I'm going back to the streets that I came from. Why would you do that? Verse 10, he says, you, to which, I'm sorry, let's finish that. The elements to which you desire again to be in bondage. It's a question like, what? What are you thinking? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and, and I'm afraid for you, lest I've labored for you in vain. 
As a church, this study in Galatians has been very intentional on my part because I felt like I personally and we corporately needed a reminder of what Jesus did, but not just what he did, but the implications of what he did. Because Galatians speaks of a freedom, of a liberty that God has signed, sealed, and delivered and given as a gift to us. Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death, right? And Paul would say something very similarly in in Galatians 5.1. Stand, therefore, in the liberty that you have been given. That's what Paul is saying to them. It's what he's saying to us, I believe, by the Spirit of God, inspired and errantly communicated to us today. Stand in the liberty. Why would you want to go back? Let's pray. Father, would you give us wisdom today as to what your word is speaking to us? Lord, I'm just so excited for the liberty that you've given us. And I pray that you will um, anoint my words. You would speak in spite of me, through me, to each of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I had stepped out of a uh, taxi cab in Paris a couple years ago. And I did the, uh, the iPhone Macarena. Are you familiar with that? <laughs> tap your pocket to see if your phone's in. So I did the tap. And the Macarena starts when it's not in that pocket. And I have this proclivity towards whatever pocket I put it in will be the last pocket that I search. If we could invent pants that have one pocket, <laughs> Shark Tank, here we come. Guys like me, I'd pay for that all day long because I'm always hitting the wrong pocket first. So I get out of the taxi in Paris. It's like uh, 10 in the morning or something like that. I tap the pocket, no iPhone. Tap this pocket, no iPhone. This pocket, I was wearing cargo shorts. This pocket, this pocket, this pocket, this pocket, this pocket, this pocket, this oh! <laughs> That's the iPhone Macarena. <laughs> Where's my iPhone? Um, and the answer of where my iPhone was was in the taxi speeding away gone in a foreign country and I have no way to call the guy. I don't know how this works. He wasn't especially nice to me. Uh, I was in France, <laughs> right? Anyway, um, that morning earlier, I'd, so I was on a flight coming out of uh, Lome, Africa, uh, Togo, Africa, that little video that you just saw. And all night long, I land in Paris at like six in the morning. I'm thinking I'm by myself. I'm just going to do the most French thing I can think, which was not very much. I just thought I'll go to the Eiffel Tower and I'll have a croissant. <laughs> Not the croissant which at the Burger King, which I've heard is to die for, but an actual croissant at the Eiffel Tower, and I'm exhausted, I haven't slept, and I get back in the taxi, and I'm headed back. I had a six-hour layover, getting to the end of it, and I, that's the moment where I'm doing the iPhone Macarena, and like, where's my iPhone? <laughs> As it's speeding away, and my heart sunk. Because on that iPhone, that story that we just played about Papanja was on that iPhone. You know, we don't have big budgets. We're not bringing camera crews with us. Everything we had was literally on that little iPhone, the story of us baptizing 150 people. Next week, William will be here, Pastor William from Togo will be here to tell some more of those stories for us. That was all on that iPhone speeding away. And I was downtrodden, just so bombed and I managed to get an email out to my wife who would have still been in bed because it's like eight hours behind or whatever and you know I lost my iPhone I think I'm going to throw up and uh, 
I got on the plane, dejected and bummed, and uh, made it back to Detroit. And uh, did I put up the wrong one? Oh, yeah. Coming home tonight. And that was like Friday night. I was trying to get back in time on Saturday so I could write a sermon and be here for Sunday. I try not to miss more than one Sunday at a, a time here. And you guys graciously from time to time, like you did in March, I, I'll miss two in a row. But I was trying to, I was leaving early. The team was still there. And at two o'clock the next afternoon, as I was, you know, I, 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 sometimes my faith, my lack of faith astounds even me. Um, because I didn't, I don't even think I prayed for that uh, to be back. Is I just prayed, God, whatever, you know, just if it's, it wasn't meant to be. And, and I get this email from uh, Mark the Frenchman. Mark the Frenchman found my iPhone in the taxi in Paris and emailed me. And I'm like, how did he even find my email? Because, you know, if your phone, it's locked, right? You can't get to it. The code was locked. And it was international, so I didn't have data. He wasn't on Wi-Fi, so the find my iPhone does not matter a whit when you're doing it that way. How did he find me? And then almost right after that, you can see my little response to him, I get a tweet from Mark in Paris (laughs) who set up the Twitter account specifically to tell me that he found my iPhone. And I'm meanwhile like repenting of my bad attitude about French people. Isn't that just like God? I'll teach you. Yeah. <laughs> Every little judgmental corner of your heart, I'm going to clean out. So I'm getting this tweet from Mark the Frenchman. And I couldn't figure out how, and I think it was Jeremy Heslop that said, you know what, look at this. Look at the picture that he set up the, the Twitter account with. That's a picture of my iPhone with the SMS notifications on it with Twitter. <laughs> so he found us by literally setting up a Twitter account Specifically, he'd never been on Twitter before, to find me, and he saw it would be at Jeremy Heslip on there and at Darren Tyler, and then he tweets me from there, and on there, if you've been to Twitter, you'll see there's a little website, so he found my email that way, and he not only found my iPhone, but then offered to return it to me. And so, of course, you're thinking, do you FedEx it? Do you? And no, you don't have to FedEx it. Not when you have a team coming back the next day on the same flight with the same layover schedule, They could just meet Mark the Frenchman and pick up the iPhone, which is exactly what happened. And, you know, as as French as I was with the Eiffel Tower, they went to the Um, (laughs) McCafe. To meet Mark the Frenchman. (laughs) To pick up my iPhone. And Mark was, uh, he told me later, he was really worried about how he was going to... uh, how he was going to recognize the people that were coming to get the phone. And because his lack of English. And, and uh, for those of you that don't know, Audrey Pate, who the video shared, who's now Audrey Coffin, married, uh, she, one of her little favorite sticks, she, used to, we, she was in our youth group. Shannon and I were youth leaders long ago, and she kind of grew up around us. And one of her favorite sticks was to take my iPhone, because she knew my code, and she would take selfies and make it in the background picture, because uh, <laughs> I didn't know how to change it. And so... I do now. (laughs) So if you look closely at that little picture behind there, this is the picture that it was. (laughs) This is Audrey and Ryan (laughs) that she made my background picture. Uh, So when they walked in, she's like, oh, I totally know you. You're there. And and I want to introduce you to uh, Mark the Frenchman who returned my iPhone. (laughs) Right? What a nice French guy. And we... uh, (laughs) 
we actually tried to nominate him for uh, sainthood, but he, re- he rejected our, uh, our suggestions. When I walked away from my iPhone that day, <laughs> like I knew immediately that it was gone. I wasn't even sure what to do, but I knew that it was gone. And as I was reading through what, what Paul was saying here in Galatians, there's this whole thing called being a son, and he's saying to them, don't walk away from that. Don't walk away from Jesus. Don't leave him behind. And you think, Jesus is this awesome thing. Why would I ever want to go back to the old ways anyway? There was an, uh, there was an, this is an ad from like the late 80s, early 90s from a radio shack. This is on, if you've got an iPhone or an Android phone this morning, this is the technology that you would have had to have purchased 25 years ago to get everything included right here. It would have cost you in today's dollars $5,100. It's all right here. Why would I ever want to throw this away and go back and try to fax something? Like, why, they have weather radios, kids. Like, this is a long time ago, but this was it for us. If you wanted to accomplish all this stuff, you had to do it with all this stuff at great cost. And sure, you could get some stuff done, but it wasn't perfect, and it sure didn't work all the time. And meanwhile, I've got it all sitting in a pocket in an iPhone in, uh, in, in, well, in a taxi cab in Paris. Paul is saying to them, why would you want to go back to that where you could limp along in life under these rules and these regulations and these policies and these procedures and this day and that day, you got to go for this feast and that feast. Why go back to that when now you're not a slave anymore? You're a son. You're a daughter. And he makes a big deal out of this. So big What did Jesus say? If you call somebody a fool, you're in danger of hellfire. He opens up Galatians with, you foolish Galatians. He's making a statement here. You guys have lost your ever-loving minds. He will say, I think it's in chapter 5, might be 6, you uh, biblical scholars correct me. At one point he says, "I I would rather that these people that are teaching this false doctrine of religion and legalism would castrate yourselves. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's a, he's making a statement now. Why is it that he's making, he's based, I'm putting a flag into the ground on this truth that God has done for you. Why is it that he would do it? And I think that in verse 8, he makes it really clear when he says that you used to serve this other thing. That you, uh, verse 8, but then indeed when you did not know God, you served those by which nature are not gods. Saying that they're these gods, these demons... When we go overseas, especially in places like where Papanja grows up, you see some crazy stuff. Like the stuff that Jesus talked about kind of stuff, like demons coming out and people writhing on the floor. And We don't see that much here. But you know why, I believe? Because Satan is wise, sly. And you know what gets a bunch of cynical Westerners? Religion. Because I, Satan, keep in mind, he's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know. He may not even know your name. He doesn't know everything. He can't be everywhere. But he doesn't have to be because religion does it for him. 
We put these rules in place and we turn into senior citizens in Del Boca Vista, phase two, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, driving around in our little golf carts enforcing the rules of the condo association. <laughs> Have you been to a place like this? Maybe your grandma lives in a place like this, right? Ted knows. They sit around there and drive these golf courts. They've lived their whole lives to get there so they could enforce these rules. And you think about the church, how much did it feel like that over the years? If you're born, born raised around a church, I mean, isn't it, didn't you feel, I felt when I was growing up, the reason I got saved every week at the Nazarene church was because I felt like there was more grace for the sinners than for me. In the altar call, it was, it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, the, the organist lady over there, just as I am without one plea. And we're all going down, crying. But once you've been saved, then it's, the, it's hammer time. Because the grace ended there, started and ended there. But that's not what Paul was saying. He was saying, how did you begin in faith and you end up at hammer time? Why would you do that? And the answer is Satan is wise and crafty. And we get so busy enforcing these rules and these regulations and these policies and these procedures. And meanwhile, we're not provoking each other to do good things because we're busy beating each other up. And I'm, not, I'm speaking in generalities, right? I don't actually experience that at Conduit. I don't experience that around you guys. And wouldn't it be awesome if we could bring this truth of this freedom to not only to our brothers and sisters here, but to the kingdom of God around us and around the world as well. Because one of the very first things you start to see when you travel globally, Haiti especially, uh, Darlene, you were there, so you, you saw some of this, but what do they do? It's 120 degrees. They've got suits and ties on, okay? And in those early days of the church there, there were little boys and girls who would only, one could come to church at a time because mom only had one nice dress. The other ones had to stay home. Now, you can call that culture all day long. I call it religion. And religion seeping in there. Now keeping, who do we get to keep out? Not who do we get to bring in. It's demonic. It's the religion that comes from the pedophile. James 3, Benny Prophet told me this once. I've never forgot it. James 3, verses uh, 3, 13 through 18. There are two forms of wisdom. It's either from God or it's from demons, period. There is no middle ground. And that religion that we've let ourselves get back under is nothing but the wisdom of demons. And it happens so subtly in our own lives. Maybe we're not experiencing it corporately, but maybe this week, have you felt a little dry? Have you felt a little worn down? Have you felt maybe a little burned? Let me read the words of Jesus if that's how you feel this morning. Verse 28 of Matthew 11. You can write it down go later. This is the message version of this. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll, you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. And learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly.
If that doesn't mirror your Christian walk, you're doing it wrong. When Mark spoke last week and he spoke of the scriptures, they're still available in our little private Facebook group if you're a member there. If you're not, just add add yourself. Just search Conduit Church Facebook and we'll add you. Go back and just pray those scriptures. If you don't know how to pray, pray. Just pray what God already said. As Mark spoke those wonderful truths of what God spoke over your life. Allow those truths to wash you. The the water of the word. What does water do on a hard ground? It softens it. And the water of God's word can soften the hardest of hearts. Are you burned out? Are you worn down? Maybe it's because you weren't following Jesus and you've, just like me, no judgment, just took a left turn when, sorry, right turn when Jesus said left. It reminded me of a story, actually, if you want to turn there, in the book of Luke, chapter 2. It reminded me of a story of someone who shouldn't have walked away from Jesus and did. Someone who should have known where Jesus was at all times and didn't. It was his parents. And in chapter 2, verse 41, it says that they were headed to Jerusalem. They did this every year at the Feast of the Passover. Now, keeping in mind, in 21 years, that Jesus is 12. It says he's 12 years old. In 21 years, he's going to make this journey as well to Jerusalem for the Passover for himself to be the lamb that would be offered the sacrificial lamb. But at 12 years old, it says that they went. And what did Paul say in Galatians? At the appointed time, the father at the appointed time, speaking of the birth of Jesus, but this was an appointed time because at 12 years old, how many of you guys are 12 in here? Anybody? I got any 12-year-olds? 13-ish? 11? Right within striking distance? Wow, Olivia, 12. So 12, 12 years old, Olivia, they would tell them, "You're, you're old, you're grown up now. Congratulations. Today in Jewish culture, you see the bar mitzvah. It's basically them saying you are now responsible for your own faith, for your own, you're a grown-up at 12. So next time your mom reminds you to clean your room, just know it could have been worse. This is Jesus at the appointed time going to Passover at 12 years old. And it says that, verse 43, when they had finished the days... As they returned, the boy, Jesus, lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. They just supposed him to be in the company. How many times in our walk, in my walk with God, have I kept going supposing Jesus was in my company, supposing that Jesus was in what I was doing? But I had gone one way and he had gone another I don't know if you've ever lost a child before in a crowded room or behind. Or I, We did that with Ashley, our uh, middle daughter, when she was little, like little bitty peanut size. We were at the zoo. It was a busy, busy, crazy day at the zoo. And I hate crowds, which is sort of ironic since I made a living at it for 20 years. But we're this giant crowd. Everybody's crammed in. And, and it's uh, Shannon and I and Marty and Sherry McGeehee and their boys and everybody's little and we're pushing through the zoo and, and suddenly we look and realize that I'm doing the head count and we're missing one and it's Ashley. And I went into full-blown aggro father mode because it's a loud, large crowd so I am like shouting her name, thundering her name, 
quiet, the crowd quieting. I'm yelling it so loud. I went one way, Marty went another, and we were going, and we finally, we find her, and she's over in a corner. She said it was by the bees, but I think she might not be remembering this right, because is there a bees thing at the zoo? Why would you put bees in the zoo? You go out in the yard and see them, but anyway. Um, <laughs> whatever it was, she, she did what she's supposed to do, which is not leave or go anywhere. She just stood there, and big old crocodile tears coming down her face, um, and we found her. We, the minute we knew, we ran for it. That's not what Joseph and Mary did. The minute they knew, what did they do? Well, we just assume he's here somewhere. They're like free-ranging Jesus, you know what I mean? They're like, I'm sure he's out there somewhere. I'm, he'll show up eventually. And that, oh man, does that mirror my childhood and most of my Christian life. I'm sure he'll show up eventually. I got stuff to do. And think about it. This is a long journey home. They had a place to go. They had things to do. They didn't want to take the time and stop and find where they left Jesus. How does that mirror our lives, right? I'm sure he'll catch up eventually. (laughs) Jesus, I got awesome things to do here. And it says that they went a day's journey. They went for a day and sought him among their relatives and friends. And isn't what we do? Oh, well, you got it. I'm sure someone's got it. The pastor's, I'm sure the pastor's got this figured out. He's got Jesus, so we can just follow along, and someone's got it. And it says in verse 45, and so when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, seeking him. They finally made the change, and they, they were going one direction, and they went the other. What does repentance mean? It has nothing to do with being sorry. It means I'm changing my mind. I'm changing my direction. I was going this way. I'm going to go that way. They repented. They went the other direction. And now it was after three days. Interesting amount of days, isn't it? And found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. I believe there's a picture of that, of the resurrected Jesus, the three days that he would rise, and that's the Jesus that we're searching. Because he would say something to them that says that she didn't understand. They didn't understand. But what he said was, and all who heard him, they were astonished and understanding his answers in verse 48. And so when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? The very first thing that we do when we figure out that Jesus or God isn't with my program or whatever is to blame God. The religious thing, I, was, I had a conversation with Mark Bourgeois this week about many of the young people in our culture that are growing up and becoming atheists, 18, 20 years old. It's not like it used to be in the old days when we took the scenic route back to the kingdom. This is a different thing that's happening. It's, we're turning our back on God, period. We don't even believe in him anymore. And many of these young men and women, and maybe this is you in this room this morning, that are there or maybe on a journey towards that, what the, often the answer is, is I asked God to do this and he didn't. There must not be a God. Because what we taught them, purposefully or unpurposefully, was that if I do this, I get that. If I don't do this, I get punished for that. We've taught them the ABCs of the universe and retrofit it onto the gospel. And so, when they say, if I, I prayed for this person and I didn't get healed, then God, there must not be a God. Because I was told that every time I laid hands on somebody, they would get healed. 
And what we did, inadvertently, advertently, I can't say. But we look at the book of Acts, for instance, and we say in 28 chapters, it's like a miracle on every page. It was like these guys just walked around and just like burping miracles. Oh, sorry, got you healed. Like things were just happening all over the place, all the time, every day. And so when our lives don't look like that, we think I'm either doing something wrong God doesn't love me if I'm not praying hard enough. If I'm not, then maybe if I just read the word with a little more fervor, if I just prayed with a little more passion, then God would do that. But think with me. 40 years of church history are condensed into 28 chapters. If I were to take 40 years of church history, starting today and going back 40 years, and I were to say, what are the miracles that God has done over a span of time in 40 years? I'm sure I could fill 28 chapters like the book of Acts. But what that escapes is the idea that, that maybe it wasn't happening every day. Maybe when Paul sat down and worked making tents for a year, there wasn't a lot of awesome going on there, at least not the, the big miracle things that we come to believe are what God is supposed to do. What did happen was a... a Husband and wife, Aquila and Priscilla, found Jesus and they became pillars of the church because he made tents for a year. And he did it because he was a son, not because he was a slave. He did it because God was moving in his heart and said, hey, go make tents for this day and don't do anything else. One of the greatest truths I think I've ever experienced from the Lord was him saying, you know what, I love you because you're preaching and I'll love you if you're not preaching. It's not about what you can do. But did you just love me and did you just have this relationship with me? And what I'm driving from this is as a son, isn't that what we want for our children? Now, if you're on payroll, if you're somebody on a staff, I've got expectations, and then, but that's not what it is. It's a son. It's not a servant. And as Jesus was back in the temple and his parents were coming to find him, it says that, your father and I sought you anxiously. They're blaming God because he didn't do what he never said he would do to begin with. We're not at, they were, you know, we asked God to keep promises he didn't make and then we're mad because well, I didn't say I would do that. But they're back saying, so why did you do this? Your father and I, listen to this. If you don't hear anything else, wake up and you can go right back to sleep. But look up. Your father and I have sought you anxiously. Your father, speaking of Joseph and Mary. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my, all capital, my father's business? He's making a statement, the Passover, this moment of I'm going to be here 21 years from now and it's going to look much differently. But because of that, my father, he's saying my father, which was blasphemous in that day, calling God a father, he could have been stoned for that and ultimately would be crucified because of it. But he said that, did you not know, listen to this, that I must be about my father's business? If you've got an NIV, it'll say my father's house. The reason that it sort of contradicts there is that the original word is a, just patier, which is my patier. I just went French, Greek. Um, pater. It's my father. Didn't you know I would be about my father? That's the word. And every other time it's translated, any other time in the New Testament, which is many, many, many times, it's always my father. He just said, did you not know I would be about my father? And what did he say that I don't do anything and say anything that my father doesn't tell me to do? 
He walked around for 30 years knowing who he was and walked by sick people day after day after day, didn't heal any of them. He never once got up on the bathwater and walked and impressed his mom. <laughs> you just think about I mean, because the father didn't tell him to. And as a son, he knew that day when he came up out of the waters of baptism and it said, the father looked down and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He only did what his father said to do and to say. And as disciples, we're not servants, we're sons. And the only thing that a disciple is supposed to do that we're called to do, that we get to do, is what did the Father tell us to do today? He told David to go to the Philippines. He told me to go to Uganda and Maddie to go. He told Shannon to run around here like a chicken with her head cut off the church ninja and set up and tear down church. That's what God is, what's he called you to do? Is it, some of us, it's just to rest. Maybe you're taking some time off. Maybe some of you, though, it's like, I've been resting a while. It's time for me. I need to be pouring into some children here. Maybe it's to work with James and Becca and what they're doing. Maybe it's to work with Jim and Don and with the youth. Or maybe it's to come and to greet and to love people as they're coming in. I don't want you to do anything that I tell you to do. What is the Father telling you to do? And as a son, as a daughter of God Almighty, paid for because of what Jesus did at the Feast of the Passover, This week, don't follow me. Follow him. Don't follow someone around you, the guy on TV, the girl on TV. Follow Jesus. My job is not to point you to a program. It's to point you to a person. He is alive and he is today and he is still speaking and still guiding and still leading and he loves you so much. He loves you whether you go to the Philippines or whether you're not. He loves you if you're blowing it and he loves you, if you're not blowing it, isn't that what a father, the perfect picture of a father? Maybe that's not your picture of a father because it's not how your father did it. He's not an absentee father. He is an involved, loving, and accepting, and the prodigal father says, welcome back to the prodigal son. Come to me. You guys can come as worshipers. And as they're coming, I would ask you to think today where the areas, and I spoke of missions, but maybe it's in, I'm just, my prayer life isn't enough, so I've got to, you know, get up every morning and five in the morning. And if I, now look, if God tells you to do that, man, congratulations, I'll see you at eight. Because he didn't tell me to do that. And we're going to talk next week about legalism and what that looks like and me enforcing my rules and regulations as if they're God's. But what's he asking you to do this week? As a, is it to, if you felt that you're burned out because maybe it's, you're praying hard but it's not working, but maybe you're praying out of this motivation to try to get something out of God, maybe you just need to relax this week and rest in the Father. Pray those scriptures that we talked about last week. Again, they're available. It's just a good place to start. What is the Father asking you to do? He loves you so much. If you're a teenager, listen to me. He loves you more than your friends do. His love never fails. How many of your friends, their love failed? They blew you up on Instagram. They did terrible things. It's because their love failed. His love doesn't. That's not the love of our Father. Why on earth would you want to go back 
living under the law, living under religion, living under legalism, living under trying to please your friends, living under, instead of going to what he's offered, which is this free experience of heaven here and into the future. In Africa, two weeks ago, Maddie was in there. We were telling Alex, I was very excited about in America, how we're all, maybe you guys have your gardens and you're watching everybody Instagramming their gardens and, and it's so, you know, romantic because we're, we're growing sustainable food and it's all organic. I'm telling Alex this as we're driving by the farms there and I'm kind of proud of and excited about it and he kind of hurt my feelings when he said, why would you do that? And what he was saying was, that's really hard work. You live in a place where food just comes to you. You live in a place where you go to the store and pick up food. Why on earth would you get up the hoe and the rake and just back burn? Just why would you do that? And I, I didn't have a chance to get into the nuances of, you know, Whole Foods and all that. But <laughs> I did, it touched my heart to realize he, what he's really saying is what I'm saying this morning. What Paul said 2,000 years ago, why would you want to go back? had a great conversation this week with Brandon. He talked about the denomination that he grew up in, which I actually got saved in that exact denomination. And that denomination says, if you're not baptized, if you're not a member of this denomination, you're going to hell. Satan can, I'm done. I got, I, I got stuff in the Middle East to stir up. I got this one handled here. They're handling it for me. Why would you want to go back to that? That's what Paul is saying to them. I'm worried about you. Because you have this freedom, this liberty, and you're so easily just giving it up. The liberty, we, you'll see this, you know, I don't mean to offend anybody, so here goes. You, I see it all the time online. We're very excited and very aggressive about the liberty that our country has given us. We want to fight for it. Why would we not want to fight for the liberty that Jesus gave us? The liberty that is forever. Give me liberty. Father, would you give us insight into that this morning? Show us what you mean by liberty in our lives. Each of us come from a different background, a different world, a different set of religions that we so easily could go the other direction of where Jesus went. Would you show us where you are and we want to go there today? For some of you, the best place to start this morning is going to be at the table. We've got communion available on either side. Maybe go to the table this morning and remind yourself of what Jesus did at the Passover 21 years after this story. Himself the sacrifice that you now could be a son and a daughter and an heir. Lord, would you give us insight into that as we break bread being reminded of the body that was broken, the blood that was shed. It's in your name. It's in the nature of who you are. Our Father God in the name of Jesus that we pray. Hey, I was thinking about this this week because I, I got a chance to sit right out here on this uh, black stairway going down, and um, I was watching cows. We have a number of cows, not we, but the owner, landowner next to us has a number of cows, and they all have calves right now because it's spring. And over the past couple weeks, I've been watching these calves, and I've been watching how the mama calves kind of circled around them at the first couple of weeks when they were brand new. And wherever the mama calf would walk, the little, I mean, wherever the mama cow would go, the little calf would walk with her. But the last couple of weeks, I've seen something that I've not understood until today, till this sermon. Calves aren't meant to stay by their mamas. They're meant to grow up and become steak. 
And what's really cool about that, not I love steak, but what's really cool about that is this freedom that the mother cow extends the babies and actually encourages. I watched cows play tag this week. I sit, Mo sits and watches out a window all the time. I, I figured out what he's doing. He's watching the cows. But these, these calves have learned to play tag, have learned to roam free, have learned to run in a pasture that's much larger than themselves. When God calls you to himself, it's not meant for you to stay right here under the shadow of his wing. When he calls you to this freedom that Darren is telling us about, that Paul is telling us about in Galatians, it's so you can run in the pasture called life so that you can go and that you can be what God has called you to be, that you can experience life, whether it's in the Philippines like David just did, or whether it's here, right in our own neighborhoods. God has not called you to be a baby cow forever. He's called you to run and run free. Be a cow, walk out there today, get in your car and look in the pasture. You're gonna see these little baby cows and watch them run free. Knowing there's borders and there's boundaries in life, yes, but they don't know that. They don't care about the fence that's in front of them. They care about chasing each other and and doing life with each other. And at five o'clock, they all head somewhere to eat. It's pretty funny. Anyway, I just thought about this week and this, this message on freedom in Christ, that we have that opportunity to run in the pasture called life, wherever God's calling us to. Would you run this week? Would you be free this week?